0: Now before we start the rosary, um, I found this message from Miss Halligan for all of you to read, so you all want it you get wound up. While I was cleaning out her house, a job that I knew I was going to have in 1964 somehow, <laughs> <laughs> I had to pile through all of the memorabilia and books and Lord knows what, finding among other treasures a dried out chicken wishbone (laughs) (laughs) that's a real treasure but out of one of the closets several weeks ago I found a blue kind of tattered bathrobe in the closet and there was this note attached so I read it and it said keep this I would like to be buried in it no homilies or talks. <coughs> Close the call. Spare the priest and the public. And then, I assume by figuring this out, it must have been after Ronnie's service. It was a long service last night and running off. You know what running off is? So let that be a warning to you. So, now my next step (laughs) was to approach LaBelle Elegant with this document, some of which I knew from her preparation of her arrangements, which she proceeded to refuse to pay for most things that most people would pay for. Because she wouldn't. In Ireland, everyone walks. No limos and other things, and of course I had a countermand, some of that, which I am still paying for this week. But um, I asked her, I said, Maureen Medea, are you really serious about being buried in a bathrobe? And she looked at me, she said, uh, the casket will be closed, won't it? <laughs> I said, "Yes." And that was the end of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sunday morning at 2.30, we get the fateful call. Sister Germaine and I stumble out and go down to the Chandler. Miss Halligan, who had been checked at midnight, had slipped off around 2. And the gentleman and lady from D'Angelo show up and are about to remove her to this fine institution and Jermaine and I looked at each other we said have to send something I mean she can't meet her maker in the altogether, altogether. <laughs> and so we grabbed a dress that she wore to the living legends ceremony for her view and a scarf to go with her about 4 o'clock in the morning this was my watch stopped that was my first sign I got home at 5 o'clock, waiting. Well, it's almost time to call Ireland. I'll just stay awake. And then it dawned on me the bathrobe was Ronnie's. And that's why she wanted to be buried. But she'd never say, It's in there. Now, about the rosary. I think, and I have no reason to doubt, and I I wouldn't dare doubt it anyhow, that Maureen said the rosary every day of her life, at least once. When she first went into the hospital at the Knicks, she had only two requests of me. She needed hairpins and her rosary. That was it. That's what she wanted, at least initially. And she had great devotion to her faith and when she moved into the Chandler, assisted living as part of Morningside Ministries, she'd often say, to think that a good Irish woman Catholic would wind up in a place like this. And they were constantly trying to get her to go to Bible classes. And she said, we were never allowed to read the Bible. I'm not going. Until she found out the leader of the Bible group was Catholic, then it was fine. So she had this this devotion to her faith that was very simple and very direct, and the rosary and prayerfulness had a great meaning in her life. And so we are happy to honor her memory by leading in the rosary, which was organized, of course, by another unpaid volunteer, Sister Jermaine Corbin.
1: I must explain that the five women who are going to say the rosary have definite connections with Maureen from the past. Uh, Mary Nell, the first one, was one of the first students, Maureen and Ronnie, in the theater department, one of the early students. Not the very first, but an early one. Sister Naomi and I were both at the university in the 1960s together to welcome Maureen and Ronnie and to enjoy them. Liz Espinosa, the third one, is a member of Extended Run Players, our group that Maureen is very active and co-founded with me. Sister Ian Shrine's father was a stage manager when Maureen performed one time. Was that in Dublin? University College. University College. in Dublin. And later on when Maureen came here, they re-established connection there. And then Carolyn Spana belongs to class of 1964 when Dick, Maureen, and Carolyn all joined the faculty at Incarnate Word. So these five people represent Maureen in many ways, When I've asked them. And tonight we're going to say the Joyful Mysteries. Maureen, I can't help it if it's Friday, we're saying the Joyful <laughs> Mysteries because you are a joyful person, you are a joy to us. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. sister Jermaine, she was reminding
0: me of the agenda as if i had one would you all do me a favor i forgot this at the beginning would you all please rise just for a minute
2: doesn't that feel good i do that because during the week someone asked me if anyone important was coming to the funeral and i'm happy to see they're
0: all here <laughs> all important, Corrine. This is what you call the transition. And so there are a few more announcements and explanations. First of all, those of you who may not have heard, the floral arrangement on the casket, which is traditionally the family arrangement, we decided to make that everyone's arrangement. So there are little note cards. You can send a little greeting and put it into the floral arrangement. The floral arrangement in the front, which I am happy to say is really the only floral arrangement that has arrived at her request, and of course it came from Ireland, who paid no attention to anything, right? <laughs> it is from her cousin, Ambassador Peter Gunning. And he was in San Antonio, ooh, I don't know what year it was, when we dedicated the village of Cavoca. And I don't know where he was stationed there, in Egypt or someplace, Bulgaria, but uh, then Chicago, but he still added the Irish government. Now I have to explain the arrangement on the cat the items on the casket. Um, since the casket was closed, we had uh, something that was more mean that you could identify with. And on the Saturday before she died, that very Saturday, I was over in the morning to meet cleaning Ladies and Salvation Army. It was quite an exciting morning for me. And um, I was still tidying up and going through closets to see if I could find things that had to be removed. And I was on the second floor in her seated closet, because there were some things that, that's all she talked about, that had to come out of that closet. Coat, this. But on the top shelf, there were some woolen items. I found the shawl, the iron wool hat, which if you look closely, still has a hairpin in it, from many years ago. And don't talk to me about hairpins in the house. I could write a book. <laughs> and also a wind chime of a hummingbird. She always loved hummingbirds and, and feeding the birds and giving them water, order, and um, we decided that would be fitting as representative of, of Maureen. Just as I was finishing gathering the materials from the top of the closet, I decided to reach up and see if there was anything hiding out of my sight. And I reached up, and I thought I would have a heart attack. I grabbed this, <laughs> with all these little spikes, I was sure it was something living. <laughs> it was one of her fancy-dancy little hats that was stuck up in the corner. So, as I say, it's been quite a week of hippishness on the part of someone, but I, I mentioned no names. Now, back in 1964, when Miss Halligan came to San Antonio, and then ultimately dragged poor Running to come have a cup of tea and stay for a while. Uh, she, they, two of them were notorious on campus, especially in the English department, for kidnapping the students to be in plays. And they couldn't, at that point, major in drama anyhow. But they were stolen from the English department, and there were some people who were quite chagrined that they were spending so much time in theater and not in literature. Now let me preface that with the week before she died, Miss Halligan at the chamber, she finally started to go to the activities yoga, laughing yoga, <laughs> Bible study, reading I mean she had a full schedule and she was always a Wednesday Catholic because that's with no mass was. But this one day they were having a poetry reading. And a volunteer was coming to read poetry to them. Well, the volunteer showed up, promptly announced that she forgot her book, that they would have to reschedule Miss Halligan, of course, says, oh no, we will not reschedule And she proceeded to give a recital of poetry for memory. And telling a little bit about Poet, and if the poet was Irish, they got the full nine. (laughs) At 94, she was still, as she said, I'm fine from the neck up. What did she do in her room for exercise? Which they thought this woman, she never comes out of that room. How could she be occupied? I found at her bedside a point. The bourgeois jean I said, what are you telling me that She said, well, I had to dress my mind. on memorizing lines in French.
2: <laughs>
0: now, try that at your age. <laughs> in any language. And so, I am sure one of the poems that came right out of her mouth, because I bet you she dreamt this poem is the Lake Isle of the Shri, And we have asked one of her kidnappees early on, Kathleen Klein the Strange actress, Emmy award-winning writer, to come and grace us with a recitation of one of those favorite poems of Maureen. Kathleen, come forward.
3: some justice to this. I, of course, memorized it, but I don't dare do it from memory, because I am not as sharp as Maureen. All right, this is the Lake Isle of Innisfree. I will arise and go now, and go to Innisfree, in a small cabin built there, of clay and mumbles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the bee, and live alone in the bee-loud glade. And I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the vales of the morning to where the cricket sings. There, are midnight's all a glimmer, and moon a purple glow, and evening full of the lily's I will arise and go now, for always night and day I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore. While I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's gray, I hear it in a deep heart's core. I'm sorry I didn't acknowledge this from William Butler Yates, <laughs> her favorite.
0: Joyce would say, We should give you a standing oration. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too long, Maureen. It's only half an hour. Get off of me. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Josephine Teresa Halligan Ibs Smith Millard. Maureen Halligan. Ronnie Ibs was not really Ronnie Ibs, he was Herbert Smith Millard, who took the name of Ronald Anthony Ibs after his stepfather. I mentioned all of this, and I, because this was always an issue with Miss Halligan about her names, and she said, You don't want to go there, now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> but while I was preparing for the obituary that I should not have written, according to Maureen, I wanted to find her parent's name, and I found her birth certificate from 1914, in a wonderful Irish directory, and it had the father's name and the mother's name. Um, and under Mary, it was Maccabee, and then there was an asterisk. And I thought sort that of was strange, I didn't think that was her maiden name, because it was supposed to be Maccabin, as in Josie and the whole Maccabin family. Well, then when I finally got to read the asterisk upstairs it was 1934. Someone went in and said, someone in a position to know says that the maiden name was Maccabee, not Maccabee. So even from her day of birth, there has been an issue with names. <laughs> now, I say that because you have never had the pleasure of traveling with Miss Halligan going to an airport with passports in hand. And every single piece of identification she had, had different names on it. It was either Maureen Halligan, Maureen Halligan-Hibbs, Maureen Hibbs, Maureen smith Willard, Mary Josephine smith Willard, and you would just tremble that you're going to be stopped, for sure, by the TSA. Shall we sail through? No problem. And the passport, and I found this is hers, yes I have it, We don't need it anymore Mark. She always worried about her green card. In it was a blank check. If I could tell you how many blank checks I have found all over Barilla, because she would always, oh, in case I need it, and they were in purses in drawers forever, and of course if she needed it, she filled it out. Not necessarily going into a register any place, but she had her check. <laughs> incredible lady when it came to that. And speaking of names, and I know you all have stories. If you didn't have stories about Maureen, you wouldn't be here. But I was present for some of them that were absolutely hysterical, talking about names. We traveled once to Virginia Beach, to Pensacola, to St. Louis, for reunions. Basically, she went, because she knew every morning there'd be coffee and donuts in conversation. That's what she loved best, no interruptions of waiters. So we get to the hotel in St. Louis, and at the counter, she pronounces in her best-stage voice to the poor young man behind the counter, what name should I use this time? And then the poor man, as if he wasn't chagrined enough, said, Madam, uh, oh, you smoke?" And she said, would you like me to? <laughs> she was always, always on stage. She never quit. Now, you know um, a lot about Maureen. And you know that she has done so many things, and even this week I learned something. We always learn something. One of her nieces, Anne, the two cousins are from Ireland they are on the way right now, uh, and will be here shortly. And you'll know when they're here. Uh, she was on Sunday in Wexford at the Wexford Opera Festival. That was very strange that the family goes to everything. She went because Miss Halligan founded the Wexford Opera Festival and it is still operating very nicely. Thank you. Okay. So now, if you look at the picture of Maureen, picture this woman as the founder of the Wexford Opera Festival and now picture this, Maureen Halligan-Ibbs smith Ballard, stage manager of a circus in Dublin, <laughs> leading the procession Riding on an elephant. <laughs> Did you not? She was a trained cellist. She was fluent in French. She studied in France. Here, she was. Uh, her aunt was a nun. Was in the convent with Mother Teresa. Oh, this was just all names that she dropped frequently. Okay. And Sister Germaine was with me this night when she came back from her first out of the gallbladder. She had a stent put in. Nurses, you know what that is. okay? And then she was sedated. So she was coming back and then she came back into the room waving to her in <laughs> public. Yelling that she was hungry. She hadn't fed her. And then she started talking about her early life and how, at age five, she was orphaned. Her parents died in the uh, influenza outbreak, and Ronnie was also an orphan. And then she went through her early childhood with the Halligan family, probably had a few dollars, because she had a maid, a cook, a chauffeur, quite a good life. Then they ran afoul of the Mackerman family somehow, and the girls, was split and then wound up in various boarding schools without benefit of show. Now, as she grew and started to study and develop an interest in music and art, she said, You know, once I went to a doctor in Dublin, and because I had some problems, and he said, Young lady, you can go into any profession in this world that you want except theater, you have epilepsy. And she said, watch me. And until the day she died, she took medication for epilepsy. And there were times, and her, everybody in the company knew it, if she would start to act a little funny, they'd cover her. In San Francisco, one time, they dropped the curtain. And the critics said, wasn't that a very unusual Ending for that half <laughs> Oh, she said we often do that just to mix things up. <laughs> James Joyce. Who would know the difference? <laughs> we sure she going on the lawn, she that. <laughs> So that was her life. And then she traveled. She came to this country. She went to the Middle East. She did a little bit of everything. And I. On her behalf, she knew if I could find it, she would like to have a little quiz. I think I can remember in any event. Uh, because people always make fun of Ireland, and the funny things they say in Ireland, and the funny places they have, and the names, and the pronunciations, as if we don't have it in America. Okay. Okay, just for a quiz, to see if you know what is the longest road in America? According to the Irish, it's Frontage Road. <laughs> and the most popular name for a town in America? Litter Barrel. <laughs> it's always ahead. What is the sign of violence in America? Drive through bank. <laughs> and the one example that I absolutely love is the rudest, rudest sign in America. Slow children crossing. <laughs>
2: you
0: should always say surely there's need for a comma somewhere. <laughs> Alumni my Junkets to El Paso and on the shuttle she looked out the window and she said, oh, what in the devil does that mean? said, She said, that sign, that's discrimination. I said, what does it say? She says, handicapped dogs only. <laughs> we all have a collection of malapropisms that we call halogadisms you know what you line a frying pan with? So it doesn't stick? Pentathlon. (laughs) We could go on and on, and I'm not going to tell you more about the old stories, but the last two years when she was at the Chandler. First, she was very tentative about going anywhere. First of all, she didn't want to be seen. Uh, And if you're wondering why the casket is closed, let me tell you this little story. One time at the chamber, she had a little incident in her room, and they had to call EMS to take her to the hospital. Ms. Halligan said, I will not leave this room until I put on my makeup, do my hair, and get dressed she would not be seen in public. She's a proper Irish lady until she did herself up. And so if she couldn't do her hair now, why would she look? It made sense to her, and it makes perfect sense to me. Well, anyhow, she did decide one day that she would take the outing to go shopping. They always had bus trips for the ladies. And she said, I spent half my Delft life. Touring on buses, why would I want to go on another bus trip? But they were going to Walmart. Walmart. And of course, Miss Halligan needed makeup. <laughs> and nothing would stop her from getting her own makeup. And she also needed ladies' undergarments. So off she went in the bus to Walmart. And she found the m- cosmetic section, got her things, but could not find. Lady's Apparel. <clears throat> Look as though she may. Well, she spotted this young man bending down at a uh, counter, and she goes up to him. She says, "Young yep, man, could you help me into ladies' up poor kid rose up and said, "But, ma'am, I work at Denny's." <laughs> Uh, Absolutely absolutely not. And it's been one after another. And um, tomorrow after the the burial at Brackridge Villa, we're going to have an old-fashioned Irish Cambodia, which means you all come in Texan. And we're going to have her a favor, donuts and coffee, so that there'll be no, you just sit down and talk Please try to remember some of your favorite one-liners or stories, because they are legion, and I could go on and on and on, but I dare not. Um, now, perhaps on a little bit more of the serious side, in terms of those last few days. and You know, Maureen had... Um, there were times when you thought she was a bit odd, until you thought about it and realized it wasn't so odd after all that it made a lot of sense. She had that innate sense of knowing what was going to happen. Tell me she didn't know that someone was going to write an obituary about her two days before it came out in the paper. She just knew. It just made perfect sense to her, and why pay for something that they're going to do it anyhow? Okay? Well, she had that kind of an in- intuitive sense all of her life, and uh, could relate to things and say very poetic things, even about the most mundane of matters. Well, about a week or two ago, her dear younger friends, Paul and Margaret Brody, they're only about 80, (laughs) went to see her. And yesterday I got a wonderful letter from Paul, who reflected on his visit with her. And he said, we had a feeling all of us, that this would be our last visit together. And Maureen, of course, immediately took charge. She said, now, I don't want you to weep. Just laugh and raise a glass for a good life. And then she proceeded to tell the story of her life, the highlights of her acting career and her touring and the places she went And then she said probably one of the most profound lines I will ever remember about Maureen. She said, and then Ophelia married Hamlet. If ever there was a book title for a biography of Maureen Alley, it's, and then Ophelia married Hamlet. To the very end, (coughs) there was nothing wrong with her from her neck up. And I think we'll all remember those stories of her humor, her quick remarks, her little jibes, and her honesty and her absolute generosity. If I had all the money that she and Ronnie gave to perfect strangers, as well as other people who are now telling me, oh, I'm paying back my loan, what? Someone would come to the door, oh, I need work, I'll paint your house. Oh, here, $700 fine, never see them again. Jobs half done, every charity that came along. Maureen Halligan is probably the only living person who read every single piece of junk mail (laughs) that came into the house and felt sorry for every single one of them, and felt sorry if she used anything that came of those offerings. She had that innate sense of goodness and wanting to share what she had, because as we all know, she cared very little for the things of this life. She cared about more important things in her life. And so, I think we should probably end on the the memory of her and the, the the way that she touched our lives, and even the funny remarks and the witty things that she said. As long as I live, I'll always remember going to church with Maureen Halligan. It was an experience to behold, to listen to her little running commentary (laughs) on on liturgical events. (laughs) Musicians, their lack of music, homilists, their lack of elocution. Didn't he just say that? will it ever end? <laughs> do they have to sing every single verse? <laughs> Whatever happened to the creed? <laughs> Why are they doing that? And yet, she wouldn't miss, ask for anything, and she'd watch everything on television, and was up to date on current events. I'll end with this one story, because this, to me, absolutely wonderful. When Miss Halligan finally got to be with the program and do some of the things that they do in retirement centers as, as together, they had memory day, the old folks, which might be a contradiction in terms, but anyhow, they had a memory day. <laughs> and you were to bring photographs of important people in your life and that you have known. Oh, well, she she gathered pictures of her with Sean Connery, Gregory Peck, Patricia Rutledge, the mayors of New York, the Prime Minister of this, well, whatever. She just pulled them out and she went into this room to share. <clears throat> okay, so it was her turn. The first picture she said, and this is me with Gregory Peck. And someone says, who's Gregory Peck? <laughs> get to Pat Rutledge, she wouldn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) And so, she was a little bit frustrated by the lack of rapport that she could have with some of the people there, because she was on such a higher level. But she never talked down to people. She understood. And she tried to meet them halfway and encourage them to read the newspaper, to do this without ever making them feel the least bit small. Now, I feel a much like the canon and shadow, shadow of Substance, all of the talking will be done by me. Surely there's someone here who has something they want to say. There are all kinds of actors, and the microphone is on, It's yours. Is there anyone who wants to come up and share? I
2: will.
0: Good. There she comes, the lady that always stole their some of the house. <laughs> Endlessly. I am
4: not a public speaker. I hardly can remember my own name, let anything that Maureen can remember. But there are two things that I will never ever forget about her. When we moved to Texas, my husband, Tom, and my daughters came first, and I stayed in Detroit till we sold the house. So the first Thanksgiving we were here, Tom and I were on the road, and Maureen and Ronnie had the girls for Thanksgiving dinner. And for several years, that got to be a wonderful Thanksgiving that we all had. And these two stories, I think just absolutely talk talk about Maureen and the gifts she had. When we went to set the table, we could never find the silver. Then we couldn't find the chairs. But it all had to be in that order because we couldn't eat unless it was. So at one time, when she was unable to greet someone who was coming to the door, she asked my husband to
2: please do it.
4: He had a handful of silver at the time, so he put the two or three forks in his shirt pocket and went off to greet the guest. She never stopped her entire life, and his entire life, accusing him of stealing her (laughs) silver. And every time we went, there was less and less silver to steal one year Tom and I gave her a 12 place setting of plastic silver <laughs> <laughs> and the other one I, I i remember sitting one night and I will not remember this man's name
0: Dan
4: Lawrence who came and quoted poetry to us one evening. I was like a, he he was like a rock star. I just couldn't get over his doing that. But the other hysterical thing is, and I think those of you who knew Maureen would understand this, Dick did all the cooking because if he had not, we never would have
2: eaten.
0: (laughs)
4: Well, we couldn't have eaten.
0: She might have fixed it,
4: but we couldn't have eaten it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, she was making coffee in a coffee pot that you plugged into the wall. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting for this coffee. So Tom finally my husband Tom went to the kitchen. He said, Maureen, is the coffee ready? And she said, I really don't know. And Tom said, Well, you know, maybe. Oh, she said, No, let me do it. And she went over, and I am not exaggerating. She picked up the coffee pot and put it to her ear. (laughs) And she said, Sounds okay. (laughs) We had many serious moments and some real. On her part, intelligent uh, conversations. But I will never, ever forget the silverware and the coffee. Bowl.
0: <laughs> well, okay. All of this is still an end to that story. When I was going through the house, I found the box with the silver in it, and I said, "What should I do with the box of silver?" We'll wrap it up and give it to the plumbers. They have the rest of it anyhow. <laughs> During the past week, um, I talked to one of her nieces about Lavelle, as they call her, to her back to Ireland, and she was always so good to the nieces and nephews and Cousins and would take them on trips to the opera to plays to ballet. But she was somewhat of the prima donna when she arrived, and she would be in a recline a lot of times and relaxing. And at one point, um, I think it was Michelle's son, was asked, um, where is Auntie LaBelle? And he said, She's out on the couch doing her blonde thing. (laughs) And I promise this will be the last one. And she kind of, she never really mentioned this much in her later, in last years, but she finally was brave enough to say it. She had, with the understudy to the lead, in the London premiere of Sean Casey's Red Roses for Me. Well, apparently sometime before the opening, I could never gather whether it was illness or whether the actress was given the quit, and Maureen had to go on opening night. Well, this was a big London stage opening night. Maureen's first line was, the rain is coming down in sheets. The audience came apart laughing. Miss Halligan didn't say sheets. <laughs> <laughs> she said something else. <clears throat> but the play was a hit. Uh, and then for you medical people you'll appreciate this. Uh, Miss Halligan really didn't have much knowledge of things medical uh, or terminology and oil, the same to her. And when she went for the gallbladder operation, after all of that, the only thing that really worried or disappointed, she didn't have the stones to show for her. So I had to go home and take a perfectly good ashtray that had stones on it, break it open, and bring them in in a little box so that she could say, you want to see my gallstones? And then give them to people as they... That wasn't you? (laughs) She loved it. And then she finally, because of her heart, she had to have a pacemaker. She could never remember that thing. So anybody that came in, she'd say, oh yes, I had a heart transplant. (laughs) Deadly. So she was quite the comedian, quite the actress. And I think we'll all miss anyone else want to share it. However, it is now 8, almost 10. <laughs> <laughs> Let us be cautious. Let us be cautious. Well, if not, the mass tomorrow is at 2 o'clock in Our Lady's Chapel at the University of Decona Word. And then there will be a procession to the Holy, um, Holy Cross Cemetery where she will join Ronnie after 18 years. I think he said breaking up. And you can join her once, uh, once again. Hamlet and Ophelia will be together again. And then we come back to Brackbridge Villa for more reminiscing coffee and donuts and good stories about good friend. Thank you.